today on It's Time. Now God says this to the children of Israel. I want to go with you, but I'm afraid if I go with you, instead of an angel going with you, that I might get really mad at you and destroy you in the way. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going to the book of Exodus. So turn there in your Bible and follow along with Pastor Mike. One of the things we have to realize as human beings is that, first of all, you're not like an animal. When God made humans, he made us uniquely different than all the other creatures that he made before. We were created in God's image. And the reason why we're in the created in the image of God is because you have a spirit that the animals do not have. Animals can love to a certain point. They love you because you give them food. But I can guarantee you, the next person that will give them food, they will love them. But when it comes to God and a relationship with Him, we're spiritual beings. And this is why it's so important. And this is what separates us from the animal kingdom, which evolution absolutely tries to destroy. You were created in the image of God. Now that is an interesting thing to me because some of the attributes that we have are from God. I believe that this is why we are able to to communicate in the spirit with the Lord and that we can actually have that intimacy with maybe our spouse, maybe our children that we don't find anywhere else in the world. So God is the one that causes our spirits to come alive. This is why Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again. You see, that ability to communicate in the spirit to God, to one another, died in the garden. It's been dead in man ever since. But when we become born again, that spirit comes back alive. And it's like the phone lines have been reconnected to God. It's been like the phone lines have been reconnected to our heart, to those that we love. You'll notice a lot of times when a person becomes born again, the relationships in that individual's life that have been fractured over the years become healing and be healed because of the working of the Holy Spirit in that individual. So the first thing we have to realize when we look at God's word is that God endeavors to align our hearts with his. I believe that happens partially in worship and again as we study his word. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning and we look at these words and how you desire to love us, God, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, help us better understand you, that we remember these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 33, we remember previously, chapter 32, the golden calf fiasco. 
Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. As he's up on the mountain, God conversing with him, God speaks to him and says, get down quickly, your people have gone astray. He comes down, Joshua says, what's all this noise we hear in the camp? Is it the sound of war? And they said, no, it's not. It's the sound of mirth and dancing. Moses comes down from having this great experience with God to his people that are dancing naked around a golden calf. Now, I'll tell you, you'll find oftentimes in your life experience, you can go from extreme highs to extreme lows in a matter of seconds. Why is that? Because we realize things change. Well, he said, get down quickly. Your people have gone crazy. He goes down. We remember that he takes the golden calf. He asked Aaron about it. And he said, well, you know, they wanted a God that reminded them of who brought them out of Egypt. I throw all their earrings and everything into the fire. And whoa, this is what came out. Well, earlier we read that he actually didn't, uh, didn't come out that way. The Bible says Aaron crafted the golden calf. So Aaron wasn't being honest. We remember Moses' anger was really hot. And he said, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to grind this thing up. And then we're going to put it in the water and you guys are going to drink it. Now, this is kind of weird. Now, you won't, as I shared last week, you won't find this in a Bible commentary. You won't find it in the Bible, but you will find it in medical manuals. What you eat that you don't digest comes out the other end. And so here's this giant golden calf been grounded up. The people are eating it, and they're out in the wilderness with golden doo-doo. That's right. I can just see him looking at that going... Wow, just a day or so ago, we were worshiping this very goal, now mixed in with waste. God's got a sense of humor. Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to a land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants, I will give it. This is an amazing verse to me, friends, because first of all, after the golden calf incident, and people died in that rebellion, God still remains faithful to them. Not because they were good, but because God made a promise. Oh, friends, understand this. If God's blessing towards you was only based upon your performance, none of this would ever get anything from God. Because by nature, it's not within us to live righteously. By the way, anything in you that is righteous, God put in you. I can't even claim it myself. Look how good I am. God says, the only thing good about you is me. It's true, friends. And when we look at this, you find that God should have said, and God fried them right there in the desert. It doesn't say that. In fact, God says, let's go on. Pick up. You made your mistakes. Pick up. Let's go on. Now, friends, that's the way God works. 
God doesn't scrap you when you do something wrong. He builds upon what you learned from that bad experience. Listen, there's a lot of really bad things that happen to us in the course of a lifetime, Christian or non-Christian. But as a Christian, we think somehow that God won't use us anymore because we did something wrong. And we're all living examples of how God's grace and mercy continues in our life. If God only used good people, nothing for the kingdom would ever be done. Second of all, we know the Bible tells us that where the cattle have been, the uh, souls are dirty. What does that mean? Hey, in the course of a lifetime as a Christian, you are going to make mistakes. But that doesn't negate that God says, okay, I'm done with you. I mean, look at Peter. I don't know the Lord. For three times, he denied who Jesus was, that he knew him. And when the cock crowed the second time, the Bible says, you'll deny you know me before the cock crows twice. We remember that, and by the way, you would think Peter, in his midst of the denial of three times, when the first cock, first time the cock crowed, he would think, you know, I'm starting to deny the Lord here, just as Jesus said, because usually... Roosters, they go cock-a-doodle-doo, and then they wait a few minutes, and then they go again. Well, it seemed to be rather rapid fire when Peter was denying the Lord that uh, you would think he would have said, hey, there's a cock crowing, and I've already denied the Lord. By the time the cock crowed twice, he had denied him three times. And Jesus caught up with Peter on the Sea of Galilee, and he said, you scumbag, how could you do that? No, he didn't. He came to Peter, and he looked at him, and he said, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responds, and he said, Lord, I phileo you, I'm fond of you. And he said, Peter, do you agape me? That means that deep, intimate fellowship love. If you look it up in the Greek, this is what the word means. And Peter said, Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I'm fond of you. I think Peter was really scared to make a statement that he couldn't back up, seeing Jesus after after, after knowing what he did, denying the Lord. And then Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, do you phileo me? And he said, yes, Lord, I phileo you. It's interesting that God came down to the level that he could relate with. Now, what we see in this particular part of passage of scripture, we find again the same thing. He says, the people that you brought out of the land of Egypt. You know, it's interesting that God here doesn't want to claim them. (laughs) <laughs> the people you brought out of the land of Egypt. Moses doesn't want to claim them. Nobody wants these people in the wilderness. But God remains faithful and said, I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's go on to the promised land. Friends, that's really encouraging to me. Because I know so many times people say, well, I'd be a Christian. I'm, I'm afraid I'll fail. Let me tell you, you will. That's why it says in 1 John, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. Not that we want to go out and sin, and sin never does me good. Sin always hurts. But here you find that God is greater than the things that we have done wrong. Many people, as Christians, have too small a God. 
God is able to take the wrong things and make them good. And friends, that's the God you serve. And if you're afraid to do anything because you're afraid you're going to do it wrong, you'll never do anything for God. Yeah, I, I might do something. I might go bankrupt. But God, this is what you, I believe you told me to do. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute because this chapter deals a lot with communication to God. How God communicated to Moses was uniquely different than the way he communicated to most of the prophets in the Old Testament and different than the way God communicates with us by and large today. Let's read on. And I will send my angel before you. Now, there's discussion, is this Jesus Christ or is this just an angel? It appears that this particular place, this may be an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Prezites, the Hivite, Jebusites, Termites, and everybody else. No, I mean, he's going to chase them all out. God's going to go for you and he will bless you. Now, friends, you have to remember something. You as a Christian carry the blessing of God everywhere you go. You say, well, Mike, I'm not a very good Christian. You know what? The darker the world gets, any element of light that you have in you is pretty bright. Have you noticed how dark the world's getting? Do you realize right now we're on the verge of World War III? Do you realize what's going to happen if we have an invasion, if Russia invades a peaceful country called the Ukraine for no reason other than communism doesn't work, we need more money, let's steal this country. Same with China and Taiwan. Do you realize that we're in a different world? Do you realize if this happens, something happens to that pipeline that supplies European oil, do you realize that that means there's going to be oil needed from other sources which will drive the cost of a barrel of oil? They, they said it could go as three, high as $300 a barrel, which will make your gasoline $18 a gallon. We ain't going to be driving much. We don't realize what a global world we have and how dysfunctional it is. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, Luke 21, perplexity among nations. The word perplexity means problems with no solution. You see your world like that today? Can you see inflation happening? Do you know what inflation does? It destroys your, your, your retirement, everyone. You think, uh, uh, when I was in high school, I've shared this before. It was eight pesos to the Mexican dollar. You can see somebody down in Mexico putting a peso away a week for their retirement. By 1993, it was 3,000 pesos uh, to, to an American dollar. Savings wiped out. Can you see that happening now? Now, here's where we get into some problems. Talking about perplexity, talking about these issues. Everybody's aware of rising interest rates. They say right now it's pretty solidly at four or above right now. Here's your problem. You have inflation between 7 and 10%. That means that who's ever lending you the money at 4% 
is losing about 6% by lending it to you. Does that make sense? In other words, I'm borrowing money for 4%, but everything's going up at 10%. That means savings is worthless. Friends, we're in trouble in our nation, in our world. Jesus talked about this, and I believe this is why it's so important that we realize that because you carry the gospel of Christ in your heart, and even though you feel you haven't been a very good Christian, apologize to those people you may have offended, and let your light shine. Because if the devil can beat you down and say, hey, you failed, nobody's going to listen to anything you say. Let me tell you something, friends. The world is so dark. Rays of bright light into darkened corners is all I can say. And that's who you are. Who are they going to listen to? If they, Who are they going to go to? Oh, we're going to go to the American news media. Good luck with that. Have you noticed that all your commercials, a lot of them on TV, are sponsored by Pfizer, the ones that make the vaccine, in which the news commentators that they're paying for are telling you you have to take it. Talk about conflict of interest. Around the mulberry bush we go. When you realize what's going on in our world, you are so valuable to the kingdom of heaven. That's who you are. And if we lose sight of that, if we do not arm ourselves with the Word of God, if we don't let it go, like during the worship service today, the downtrodden words of the devil, you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you failed in your past. Let me tell you something, friends. Every person has failed in their past. And I have found a lot of times some of the people are the quickest to point out the failures and others are currently failing in a much greater way than what they're pointing at. Isn't that what Jesus said? Don't worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you got a beam in your own. I often wonder if the beam is not the reflection in the person's eye that they're trying to pick out. You see, when we understand how valuable you are to the kingdom of heaven, how much Jesus has made an investment in you, how God redeemed the children of Israel out of a life of slavery, brought them through the Red Sea, put them on their way to the promised land. Sound a little bit like you and me? We're on our way to the promised land. And along the way, there are bumps and there are rocks and there are trails We just got to get back on the path again, friends. Being about our father's business. So he says, I will send an angel to go before you. Now he says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Now God says this to the children of Israel. I want to go with you. But I'm afraid if I go with you, instead of an angel going with you, I'm afraid if I go with you, I'm going to get close enough to you that I might get really mad at you and destroy you in the way. 
Now, if you look at that for a minute, he says, you're a stiff-necked people. That comes, we talked about this last week, it's a common term in the Bible, being a stiff-necked people, but it has to do with farming. And you have an animal pulling a plow, and you tug on the reins to turn the horse's head a little bit, or the donkey's head, or the oxen's head a little bit, and that'll turn it that way. He goes, you're stiff-necked, I'll be purling on the reins to try to get you back on the path, and you don't want want to go that way, your neck, is, your neck is stiff. I don't know if you've ever had a stiff neck. They are not fun. I have painted my roof in my house. I don't know how many people have had this wonderful opportunity. But you're like this with a roller. And you're doing this and you're doing the roof. And then the next day you walk around like Frankenstein. Because you had your neck in a way that it wasn't supposed to. Being stiff-necked is not a good thing. He said, I'm going to bring you into a really great place. God will. A land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, God, a, a, a land of plenty. There's a journey involved. And when the people heard these grave things... These grave tidings, they mourned, and no one put on their jewelry. And now it's, this verse is a little weird to me, because they heard God saying, I want to go with you, but you guys are such a bunch of stiff-necked people, if I go with you, I'm afraid I might slay you in the wilderness, so I'm going to send an angel instead. Uh, they were grieved, and they didn't put on their jewelry as they were traveling through the desert. Who are they trying to impress? Like, hey, okay, mom, dad, kids, let's load up the wagon. We're going to go. Be sure to put your jewelry on because we're going to impress the neighbors. What? You know, it's interesting. Even then, people want to be Gucci. I can't figure it out. But they were bummed out. They didn't put on their jewelry that day, their ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what I will do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their jewelry by Mount Horeb. And Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. By the way, Jesus was crucified outside the camp. A lot to say that, uh, you don't have to be in the in crowd. It is also interesting that he put the tabernacle outside so very clearly anybody that really wanted to know what God had to think had to directly go there. It wasn't, maybe we might say, convenience as it was later on in the children of Israel. They would pitch the tabernacle of meeting basically in the center. But here it was outside. It was the tabernacle of meeting where God met Moses. Now, so it was... Whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, each man stood at the door of his tent and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. 
And it came to pass when he entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. So it's like Moses goes in, this cloud goes and closes the door. And then Moses are in there talking. And he says, the people saw that pillar of cloud standing at the door And all the people rose and worshipped each man at his tent door. And so the Lord spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now here's what's interesting. It says God spoke to Moses face to face. Now, as we'll read on here, we'll find that God has never shown his face to anybody. When you look at the original Hebrew word here, it literally means God spoke to Moses person to person. You can look it up in a strong concordance and you'll see that. God spoke to him. But the reason we find the word face to face, it's much more than just person to person. It was an intimate thing where God would actually come and speak to him. Different than the other prophets, different than really the way that God spoke to people in the New Testament. Even though the Bible says that Jesus said he would write his purpose, his commandments on our heart. Unlike the Ten Commandments on a chunk of stone, God would put His commandments on a heart of flesh. But here, it's weird that the Bible says there was such an intimate relationship that Moses had with God. God had with Moses. Friends, that's weird. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.